You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. A new Monero miner is out and about. Hidden Cobra is pushing a rat through a trojanized two-factor authentication app. The rise and fall of a botnet. Markets, criminal and legitimate, react to the pandemic. Ransomware hits Taiwan. Remcos is resurgent. Michael Sechrist from BAH on the future of ransomware. It's World Password Day, so Rachel Stockton from LastPass shares their Psychology of Passwords report. And no, despite what you saw on Twitter when you were doing your own research, 5G does not cause COVID-19 and telecom repair crews are not agents of the Illuminati. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, May 7th, 2020. Red Canary reports finding a new threat to Windows machines. It's observing a cluster of apparently related activities the company is calling Blue Mockingbird that are engaged in deploying Monero crypto miners on infected machines. The malicious payloads are appearing in dynamic link library form on Windows systems. Initial access is gained through exploitation of public-facing web applications, and the most common payload is the XMRig open-source currency miner. A new version of the DACL's remote access Trojan is being distributed by North Korea's Lazarus Group, also known as Hidden Cobra and APT-38. Malwarebytes Labs says that this version is designed to work against Macs, and it does so through a Trojanized version of the MINA OTP two-factor authentication app, an app used mostly by Chinese speakers, which suggests its probable target set. Kihu 360 NetLab first described the Dackles rat in December of 2019. Botnets rise, of course, but they also fall, especially as affected devices are patched or retired. One long-running botnet that exploited D-Link NVRs, network video recorders, and NAS, network-detached storage devices, has slowly declined through this natural attrition. ZDNet reports that the serial botnet, established by some otaku to download anime, has been active since 2012. It peaked in 2015 with over 10,000 bots in its herd, but is now almost gone. Serial was also driven down by some competing malware. Cryptor ransomware suppressed serial infestations this past winter, which wasn't necessarily a good thing for victims. Forcepoint now thinks it's safe to publish details on the vanishing botnet, and they've done so. Tech firms, including some in or adjacent to the cybersecurity sector, haven't been immune to the economic pressures of the pandemic. Here are three examples from the U.S. West Coast, heart of the industry. The Silicon Valley Business Journal reports that Cohesity has cut staff and done so only a few weeks after raising $250 million in capital. That cloud provider Nutanix has laid off almost 1,500 employees, about 27% of its workforce, 
and that Cloudera yesterday confirmed that it was readying a round of layoffs. The cybersecurity sector proper, however, while seeing a slowdown due to the caution so prevalent in the markets it serves, has proven relatively resilient under pressure. Security needs have remained relatively stable, and after all, security itself remains a relatively small and bearable fraction of corporate budgets, Security Brief points out in a survey of industry observations of the sector. The criminal market has followed opportunities opened up by the crisis. Not only has it become commonplace that the COVID-19 has been dangled all over the internets as effective fishbait, it surfaced in a new round of attacks by familiar Nigerian gangs, a business email compromise campaign Palo Alto Networks is calling Silver Terrier, and Elusive Networks believes it's detected a nation-state-sponsored ransomware campaign with strong similarities to the techniques used by TrickBot. Bots have also been causing trouble through automated applications for emergency relief. Some of the problems with emergency relief programs are technical, not necessarily nefarious, but rather artifacts that emerge in any rapidly expanding system that wasn't designed to handle large volumes of requests. Tech Target reports that the U.S. Small Business Administration will no longer process applications for payroll protection program loans filed using robotic process automation tools. So many requests have come in by RPA that the system was overwhelmed. But some of that activity is nefarious since RPA tools benefit criminal as well as legitimate enterprises. The Wall Street Journal says that the U.S. Justice Department is actively investigating fraudulent applications for assistance. Another area where criminals see opportunity under the present state of emergency, Zero Fox reports this week, is with compromise attempts against celebrities' accounts and attacks offering free streaming services. Sports and entertainment figures, when their social media accounts can be turned to criminal use, can be used to drag their fans in. And when you're stuck at home with little to do, free streaming services can be dangerously attractive. In case you are looking for something to celebrate today... It's World Password Day. And no matter how you and your loved ones celebrate, whether it's sending the kids searching the house for passwords written on sticky notes, stuck to the underside of keyboards, or breaking out the boggle game to see who can generate the most complex string of random characters, World Password Day is a good reminder to take stock of your password hygiene. Rachel Stockton is Senior Director of Product Marketing at LastPass. So I'm a psychology minor, and I have to say this just plays right into my interests. And one of them is the concept of cognitive dissonance, right? You Mm. know something is right, yet you continue to behave against it, and then you have that friction. And that's really one of the key things that we have come up with in this report. And it's that 91% of people know that reusing passwords is insecure, that that's not a best practice. They shouldn't do it. 66% of them still do. And this Mm. has been a consistent finding over the three years we've been doing this report. So I think this cognitive dissonance still exists, despite people being much more educated about the risks of password reuse and all the data breaches we hear about consumer passwords being stolen. So how do we come at this disconnect here? Is, Is it a technology solution? Is it a training solution or a combination of all those things? I think the first piece there is there, there is a psychology behind it, right? They have to understand that there is something that they can change, a behavior that they can change. 
one of the things we hear from people is why they don't want to really change their passwords or even use a solution like a LastPass is they want to maintain control. If I know it, it'll be safe. But what Mm. we also found is that people underestimate the number of passwords that they have. They estimate that they have between 1 and 20 but when, when we compare it to our anonymized information, people have about 40 different passwords. This is consumers. Hmm. So the concept of I can control this by being really insecure and in reusing and I'm underestimating how much I'm trying to do. I think that's something that as humans, we have to realize it's okay we don't control this. Like phone numbers. I don't know anybody's phone number. I'm sorry, dad. Right. In my phone. But I'm okay with it because I trust that I'm going to be able to get to that. Um, It's the same with passwords. And then once they've made that leap, there's a plethora of ways that they can have um, secure passwords, easy to remember. But it's also really interesting that people are still trying to memorize passwords. Hmm. What about the fear that, that some people have? I've heard this one mentioned where... If I use a password manager, well, then it's just the the keys to the kingdom. If someone gets that password, well, then they have everything. You know what? Very valid concern. And that was one of the best things that we actually saw in the psychology of the passwords Mm. is the concept of multi-factor authentication is really going mainstream. And so what we've seen is that um, in this survey, that over half of people are saying that they're using MFA for some of their personal accounts. But you know what's worrisome? This does bleed over to work, and less than 40% are saying they're using it at work. So I do think we do need to think about, particularly as everybody is working at home right now, we expect this trend to continue in the future, and our real lives are becoming more and more virtual, and we're opening up more accounts. This blending between work and personal is happening rapidly. So I think that's where we really need to see the continued adoption of MFA on the consumer side. But businesses have to be thinking about this more as well. That's Rachel Stockton from LastPass. Microsoft is tracking a surge in Remco's attacks that it says are using COVID-19 lures to prospect organizations across many sectors. Remco's is a remote administration tool marketed for various legitimate purposes, but it's been widely used in criminal and espionage campaigns as a rat. The phishing is pretty much a dead giveaway with respect to intent. And finally, Twitter is still trying to control the rumor that 5G causes COVID-19. One would have hoped the odd belief that cell towers are somehow the cause of coronavirus infections would have now passed its expiration date. Alas, no, Twitter is still grappling with the dissemination of that particular theory, often linked by the credulous to suspicion that the whole matter is linked to a deeper conspiracy to cull the herd, to prepare for some horrendous world order of social control, and that fear exists in left, right, and center forms. The Telegraph says that Twitter's most recent approach to the rumor is to prompt people who tweet it to read an official British report debunking the self-service origin theory, which is so direct and almost charmingly naive, and we mean naive in the best possible sense of the word, that one wishes them all success. Why not give the invisible hand of the marketplace of ideas a chance to work its magic? Give reason a chance? This particular bit of misinformation is dangerous not because it's affecting treatment or compliance with public health advice. It's dangerous because it's inspired people to vandalize cell towers. 
An ex-Googler told The Telegraph in an earlier piece that he sees structural problems with social media that tend to cause misinformation cascades. He's concerned mostly with YouTube and sees the algorithmic push to optimize watch time at all costs as fostering the propagation of spectacularly false and spectacularly attractive content. Substitute engagement for watch time to generalize the problem. The problem has involved more than just vandalism. Some telecom maintenance workers in the UK were attacked by locals who accused them of setting up the virus infrastructure. One almost wishes for a return of alien invasion conspiracy theories. At least you'd know what to say. Klaatu Baradu Nikto. See, you can learn things from television. A true utaku would add, Gort de Klensu Kasku. But that's just gravy. Or so we hear from the old 5G. We're kidding, of course. We're kidders. We like to kid. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Michael Sechrist. He's the chief technologist at Booz Allen Hamilton. Uh, Michael, it's great to have you back. Um, I-, I wanted to touch on where you think things are headed with ransomware. Um, you know, we're kind of in a, a, a interesting situation right now dealing with uh, the global pandemic, um, and that puts different pressures on people all over the globe. Yeah, thank you so much for, for having me back. 
Uh, certainly does. Like uh, we've seen, cyber is a cyberspace is an extension of the, the physical world. So as we as we deal with strains and crises going on uh, with COVID nineteen, uh, we're we're seeing kind of an an influx of COVID nineteen potentially related activity in cyberspace. And and generally, the attackers have um, you know see some kind of opportunity here, and they're seeing one they're seeing weakness on corporate environments, on federal environments, government environments, where, you know, they are having difficulty um, potentially with, you know, work from home capabilities, with availability, uh, with being able to kind of baseline activity. So that's, that's kind of one, you know, thing that the attackers will see. The other thing they'll have is they'll have a motive, right? They'll have a, lar- uh, a more of a need potentially for actually just money for goods and services um, to hmm. operate and continue their activity. And, um, and that's going to change. And the other thing is they have more time on their hands, uh, generally, if, if, they're, mm. if they're potentially confined as well, basically having access to potentially a, a device that allows them to get access to, to funds or to do things that they need to survive, they're going to probably take advantage of that. So right. you have this kind of like uh, this storm brewing that, that they're going to use to their advantage. And um, ransomware is certainly on that list. Uh, we've seen... The, the COVID, uh, there was a, a map of COVID-19 infections that was being distributed with that, uh, you know, produced potentially a malware infection that would drop a particular uh, variety of ransomware that they were calling COVID lock, which was um, mm-hmm. related to, um, obviously, the campaign here. Uh, we're seeing, you know, other ransomware, uh, you know, going after groups like Epic Glo- Global, which is a legal services provider. Uh, fallen victim to a large ransomware attack. We're seeing other kind of ransomwares uh, continue to be dropped through uh, mal spam campaigns, um, through you know compromising cloud backup providers. Uh, so you know this will not slow down. Yeah, it's a, you bring up an element that I hadn't really considered, which is that um, we're going to have people who have technical abilities who are not going to be working. And so out of desperation, perhaps, uh, you know, they could find themselves with a little more moral flexibility than they had before when it comes to spinning up some of these kits to make ends meet. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, there was previously um, interviews with uh, some cyber criminals where they will literally talk about you know, the need to support their family or treating this as a, also a day job that they go and perform to bring in, um, you know, money in for their family. And so uh, you, you, you can't think of that and not relate it to the current environment. You've got, uh, again, folks that, that this was uh, potentially a source of income now completely almost reliant on not being able to move in certain environments and likely going to use that as an attack vector. Yeah. All right. Well, Michael Sechrist, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, 
Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.